كفاه وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبلنا صدق الله العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم <clears throat> we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for he is the one that is truly worthy of being praised. We praise him for giving us so much of his bounties that we are undeserving of. And we send peace and blessings upon Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and upon his wives and his companions and his progeny and his family and all those that followed them in their ways. So this week inshallah we we'll, we should be able to get through several names because they're all related. <clears throat> so first Imam Ghazali rahimullah and all those that have spoken about the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala typically bring these two names together, Al-Qabid and Al-Basit. So these two names are brought together because they have similarity to each other. And one is understood by understanding the other. It is better understood by understanding the other, or together rather, as opposed to trying to make sense of them separately. So Qabid, Qabid and Basit, these are two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which do not come in this form in the Qur'an. But they are the names amongst the, those names that are revealed by that Rasulullah Sallallahu taught us. However, the idea of Qabd and Bast are, they do exist in the Qur'an. So Qabid means the one who constricts or the one who contracts, he straightens something. Not straighten as opposed to curve, but straighten as in uh, constricting something. And Basit is the one who expands or the one who releases. So Qabid comes from the word Qabd, which means to forcefully take control or to seize something. Whereas Bast is to spread, the spreading of a thing. And Imam Uzzali, rahimullah, he says that these are manifest in several different methods. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Qabid because he takes hold of the souls by subduing them. Meaning, he, he is the one that gives death. So that is another name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we will go into later inshallah. But typically... It means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seizes somebody. And this is something that is linked with humiliating an individual. That he sees them. And it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be humiliation. But that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He takes full control of them. Possibly when they least expect it, that not, nothing that they could do would render themselves free from the possibility of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seizing them or grasping them. And so He takes hold of the souls by, hold of the souls by subduing them and the selves by effecting justice. And then he also takes hold of the hearts by making them fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by making them fear him. So what happens? He gives death to people. So he seizes the souls. And on Yawmul Qiyamah, or even in this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will effect justice between individuals. So despite what is being done, Justice is necessary because oppression is being done. Some form of oppression or another, right? If an individual kills somebody, if a person steals from somebody, if he slanders somebody, whatever might be the case, when something goes, when a case goes to trial or goes to court rather, then you are seeking justice because one individual was wronged, right? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He enables and allows that justice to take place. Now the world itself is not just. So sometimes... People will go to court and justice will not be served. However, Yawm Al-Qiyamah will come and that is the day of justice. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring justice on that day and nobody will be wronged. 
And further, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He seizes the hearts by making them fear Him. So what, what happens? Imam Ghazali rahimullah says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He isolates the hearts by lack of knowledge. So an individual might feel empowered. However, if they become arrogant, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes hold of them and they realize their lack of knowledge. They might go up against somebody in a discussion and they feel like they can overcome an individual maybe out of their arrogance or whatever. They feel like they have a lot more knowledge, but then all of a sudden they are humbled. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He seizes them because He makes them realize their lack of knowledge or He makes the people around them realize this individual's lack of knowledge. And so they are not over to... Uh, overcome another individual. This is not lack of knowledge regarding, you know, this does not mean that if a person says, I do not know, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has necessarily seized them for this, because the context we're speaking about generally entails some type of, um, you know, uh, lowering somebody or debasing somebody. However, when we talk about knowledge, there's different aspects of it, right? One is that a person is humiliated because of their lack of knowledge. They think they know, but they do not. Another is an individual who is honored by this lack of knowledge. So what is it? It's interesting that in the Western context, if we say, I don't know, to an answer, typically the audience thinks, oh, this guy, he doesn't really know very much. But traditionally in the Muslim world, saying I don't know is something very praiseworthy. Because what happened? The famous story of Imam Malik, rahimahullah, that a person from Egypt came with 40 questions to him and said that I have all of these questions from my people, from my city, uh, and we want you to answer them because you are the alim of Medina, right? And Rasulullah said about the alim of Medina that a time will come and the people will travel from one end of the earth to the other seeking knowledge and they will not find anyone more knowledgeable than the scholar, than the alim of Medina. So the ulama have consensus that Rasulullah was foretelling the coming of Imam Malik, rahimahullah. although he did not take his name. Uh, so Imam Malik was posed these 40 questions and he, in response to 36 of them, he said, I don't know. Imagine, the most knowledgeable person in Medina Munawwara, one of the most knowledgeable people, knowledgeable people in the world and one of the most knowledgeable people the Ummah has ever seen. And he said, I don't know to 36 of them. And when this individual asked him that, what am I supposed to tell my people? He said, tell them Malik doesn't know. <laughs> it's simple. right? So this is something different. This is humility and this is your realizing you have a, an understanding of how much knowledge you have. So when somebody a asks you, you can say, I don't know. And you know that you don't know the answer. Right? That's why Rasulullah said that half of knowledge is saying, I don't know. Right? I, actually, I'm not sure if it's a hadith or not, but the ulama have said it. That nisful uh, ilm la yadri. Half of knowledge is to say, I don't know. Why? Because you, don't, you know what you do not know and then you go and seek the other half it by seeking out that knowledge. But what we're speaking about here, what Imam Ghazali speaks about here by saying Allah Ta'ala isolates the hearts by lack of knowledge is a person who has become arrogant in whatever little knowledge they have and so they try and overcome others with, despite not having knowledge. And so Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala manifests this person's lack of knowledge. Uh, it could also mean that a person is very knowledgeable. However, by constantly studying the Qur'an, they realize the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how little they actually are compared to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in which case there is no comparison. And so what happens? He also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He constricts the hearts by making the hearts fear being distanced from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That you come to realize if I do such and such action, I fear that my, I would be turned away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah ta'ala would distance me from Himself. And so therefore that fear comes into you. 
Imam Razi rahimullah, he says that there's seven, that this is manifest in seven things. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making qabd of something is manifest in seven things. He says he, and you can understand bust through some of these as well. So basically they are opposite of each other. Qabd meaning, or qabid meaning the one who constricts, and basit meaning the one who releases. Uh, the one who releases or the one who expands. And so Imam Razi, we spoke about Imam Razi before, the great scholar, he was a jurist, and he, he wrote a great tafsir work that had a lot of philosophical ideas, had a lot of theological ideas, uh, and had a lot of linguistic nuances of the Qur'an. So he brings forth some verses. He says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala straightens or he restricts or constricts, confines the means of sustenance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَوْ بَسَطَ اللَّهُ الرِّزْقَ لِعِبَادِهِ لَبَغَوْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَكِنْ يُنَزِّلُ بِقَدْرٍ مَا يَشَاءُ That had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, expanded the risk for his slaves, sustenance for his slaves, then they definitely would have rebelled in the land. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stipulates a certain portion, whatever he wishes. So what, what happens here? بَسَطَ اللَّهُ الرِّزْقَ He's saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings this verse telling us that Allah ta'ala is the one that expands the risk. And had He given us, had he given us so much expanse in that risk and that sustenance, it would have led to rebellion in the land. And so then, وَلَكِنْ يُنَزِّلُ بِقَدْرِ مَا يَشَاءُ This means the opposite. Although, bust, uh, sorry, qabd is not mentioned here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that He did not give that entire, that, that uh, infinite expansion uh, of sustenance, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constricted it to a certain amount. And it's interesting because you find that what happens, typically what leads people away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a lot of wealth. Typically, not always, right? We have Abdurrahman bin Auf, Uthman bin Affan radiallahu anhuma, great examples from the time of the Prophet, from the companions of Rasulullah who were so extremely wealthy, Abu Bakr radiallahu they were known for, their, for a lot of wealth. But they were amongst the closest people to Rasulullah right? Though all three of them were given were from amongst the ten given the glad tidings of Jannah. And then you also find, I mean what, Suleiman he had, right, he became a king in the land. Dawud became a king in the land. Yusuf was raised to a level where he had so much underneath him. And of course you find many Muslims today that they have a lot of wealth and they don't go away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But typically, that's not what you find. Typically, you find that when comforts come upon people, that's when they start going away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, that's why he, uh, despite being the Khalifa, he would still restrict himself to the simplest of foods. Right? Uthman, although having so much wealth, that when the famine came in Medina Munawra during the Khilaf of Umar, Uthman came and he gave so much, wealth, uh, so much of his wealth to, to feed the people with the best of foods. But when he would go back to his home, he would, what? He would have bread and oil. Right? Or when uh, Ali and Fatima, when they... You know, Fatima when her hands were worked so much because of the amount of uh, work she was doing at home, what happened? Ali radiallahu said to her that, why don't you go and ask the Prophet for a slave? Because the, the, the ummah had come into the possession of some slaves. So Ali radiallahu said, why don't you go and ask the Prophet so that, you know, things might become easier on us. Yet Rasulullah said no, right? And that was the famous... Uh, tasbihu uh, Fatimi that came out after that, right? To say Allahu Akbar, Alhamdulillah, Allahu uh, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, and Subhanallah, 33 times, right? So what happened? Rasulullah said, I will give you something that is better than this. He didn't, he knew that his daughter was undergoing so much difficulty that they didn't have that much wealth. But the Prophet left them to stay in that state, number one, because he knew they could 
they knew he knew that they would not uh, it would not affect them because poverty can also affect us away from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. But second, he did not want uh, number one, he did not want people to say that you're giving preference to your daughter, and number two, he knew that that would be a raising you know raising their maqam and status even more, right? That he did not want that by giving them wealth and all of these types of things that they be led away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now of course they were Fatima radiallahu anha and Ali radiallahu anhu. They were not going to be. Ali was also given the you know, glad tidings of Jannah. They weren't going to be distanced from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it was a lesson for us. Further Imam Razi rahimullah he says that Allah ta'ala sends forth and withholds the clouds. He extends or shrinks the shade and light. So in one verse of Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alam tara ila rabbika kayfa madda dhilla walaw sha'a that have you not seen how your Rabb uh, extends the shade? Uh, and if he had wished, لَجَعَلَهُ sakina. Had he wished, he could have made it stay stationary. ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَا الشَّمْسَ عَلَيْهَا دَلِيلًا And we made the sun a, uh, a pilot for this shade. ثُمَّ قَبَضْنَاهُ إِلَيْنَا قَبْضًا يَسِيرًا And then we uh, brought it back towards us. With uh, we brought it back towards us gradually. libasa, and then he is the one who made for you the night a covering. Wanoma subata, and the sleep a rest for you. nahara nushura, and he spreads out the day. wa and he is the one who sends forth the clouds as a glad tiding for uh, uh, preceding His mercy. And we send down from the skies purifying water. So all of these are an example of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the night and the day and the shade and the rain and the clouds. He mentions all of these things as what? Qabd and bust. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spreads these things out. He makes bust of these things. He spreads these things out. And so much benefit comes from this. Right? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also contracts these things. He brings these things back to Himself. And He takes it away from the land. And then what happens? Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about in so many other verses that He causes the land to die and He revives that land. And typically He says that this is a sign for us, right? That just as the land dies and is revived, we will also die and be resurrected. But this is also an idea of qabd and bust. Then Imam Razi rahimullah, he says number four is that Allah ta'ala takes the souls away and sends them back to their bodies. So we discussed this. He also takes control of the earth. He receives and uh, he, he accepts the charitable acts from people. And then he confines the hearts and he also eases them. So some these are some of the ways that Allah Ta'ala manifests qabd and bust. Now, qabd and bust are two spiritual, are two aspects that are spoken about in spirituality, in tazkiyah also. That they refer to a person who, when he is, in, you know, you have times when you really feel like engaging in a lot of ibadah that you feel so you know, uh, inspired and motivated that I'm going to go and I'm going to read Qur'an today, I'm going to make this much dhikr today, you know, I'm going to wake up for tahajjah tonight, I'm going to go and make my fajr in the masjid. And then there's times where you're just feeling so lazy and you don't feel like doing any of it. You, you barely like, catch the salah and it's time, you kind of get uh, you know, uh, lax in your reading of Qur'an on a daily basis or whatever. Or what happens, Ramadan, everyone's motivated to do good. And Ramadan ends and you're feeling motivated for a while and then after that it ends, right? We, under, we experience this. This is that aspect, that idea of qabd and bust. That qabd is a retraction of the spiritual state, a constriction of the spiritual state, and bust is the expansion of it, a release from that constriction that you feel now motivated to do it. And so, Imam Ghazali and the ulama, they say that 
what happens is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, first of all, Imam Ghazali mentions that the one who contracts and expands among men is the one who is inspired by marvels of wisdom and has been given comprehensive, comprehensiveness of speech. So what is our share in these things? Our share is that we are able to inspire people and have, we are endowed with wisdom and with simple words, we can inspire people to do good and keep them away from doing bad. At times, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expands the heart, or at times this individual expands the hearts of, peop- of others by reminding them of the blessings of Allah and His consolation. And at other times, He contracts them by warning them of the majesty of Allah and His greatness and of His punishment. So then He gives an example that Rasulullah Sallallahu himself did this. Right? Obviously, who is the best example of all of these things? Of all of these, you know, the share that we might have of these names. It was the Prophet Sallallahu And Rasulullah Sallallahu He said one time, He told His companions that 999 out of every thousand of you, or 999 out of every thousand people will be punished into the fire. And so he looked at the faces of his companions and they felt kind of despondent. They felt broken. That we're, all this ibadah and sacrifice we're doing and only one out of a thousand of us is going to go to Jannah and be you know, given, uh, rewarded. And the rest is going to be punished. So what happened? Rasulullah with this statement, he constricted their heart. Right? And they became, he says, lukewarm to, uh, to ibadah. Because they felt despondent that what's the point? You know, we're doing all this and it's just going to be rejected by Allah. But then the Prophet said that your likeness, meaning the likeness of, of you, the Sahaba and the Ummah after them, compared to the amount of people that have come before is like a dot, a, a, a dark dot, a mole rather you can say, on the hide of an ox. Meaning in number that yes, 999 out of 1,000 people will be punished. However, don't think that you are the people that will be punished because the comparison of your number to everyone else that has passed into the, in this world is like a mole on the hide of a white ox. Understand? So he was making a comparison of their number. And the ulama have further said that this is taking into account Yajuj and Majuj. Right? Gog and Magog, that when they come, one of the signs of the last day, Yajuj and Majuj, when they are released, those people that Dhul Qarnain made a wall and kept them behind, right? Somewhere in the Caucasus it is said that they will eventually come and wreak havoc in the world that there will be so many of them when they pass by a lake and each of them takes to drink, it will be full when the first one passes by. By the time the last one passes it, it will be empty. That There will be so many of them that they will, dry, they will dry out the lakes from drinking from it. That it is said a thousand, not one of them dies until a thousand is born from him. From him. Meaning, each one of them lives until he has a thousand of his progeny before him. And only then does one of them die. And all of them are like this. So the ulama have said that this reference of uh, 999 out of 1,000 is taking Yajuj and Majuj into account also. And they will obviously be people who are wreak havoc in the land. So the ulama then they say that what is the summary of uh, Qabid and Basit is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, the rich turn to poor. The rich turn poor, the healthy become sick, the happy become sad, the comfortable heart becomes constricted, the clear mind becomes depressed. But then what happens? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He releases... He manifests his basit, his bust, and he releases abundance and joy and relief and ease. And so when you're feeling this moment of qabd, this constriction, this confinement, whether you're getting sad and depressed, whether your heart is feeling the state, whether you feel difficulty to go and perform you know, the different ibadat that we're supposed to be performing, then you have to seek out that companion, those two companions, one of those two companions of faith. One is to have patience. That when you're feeling qabd, 
when your sustenance is restricted, right? You're not, maybe you're losing your job, you lost your job and your, uh, your wealth is going away, or even spiritually, then you should have patience. So you have patience and you exert effort uh, when, when your worldly sustenance is being taken away, but in a, when your spiritual ex- uh, sustenance is diminishing and you feel difficult to, to engage in the things that would please Allah Ta'ala, then you have to have patience and in the spiritual state you have to strive to do it. You have to force yourself to, to do it. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifests that what? وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا That whoever strives in our way, وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُّنَنَا That we will definitely and most certainly guide them. So at that moment you have to strive. When you are feeling that spiritual confinement, you have to strive to what will please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the, the, uh, the great jihad that is spoken about in the Qur'an. That jihad against the nafs. Because qabd is what your nafs is, not wanting to engage in the actions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to engage in. So you have to strive against your nafs. And then, when that abundance comes, when that release comes, and uh, your sustenance is also uh, uh, increased, you have your job back, you're living a comfortable life again, or spiritually, when you're feeling motivated, then don't think it is by yourself that you accomplish it on your own. Rather, you should then seek the companionship you should seek to find that other companion of faith, which is gratitude, shukr. So what? Sabr and shukr. That in that moment of comfort and release and, and joy, you should be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, ya Allah, I did not accomplish this on my own, but it is you who allowed me to accomplish this. And you attribute it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah ta'ala will increase you in it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then increase you uh, in that. Any questions on those? Right, so we'll move on to Al-Khafid and Al-Rafi'. So Al-Khafid and Rafi', these are two names also brought together. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also brings these together. So what? Al-Khafid and Al-Rafi'. Al-Khafid means the abaser. And Al-Rafi' means the exalter. So they are, they seem to have opposite meanings. Al-Khafid uh, means the, the abaser. So the one who abases, the one who... You can say humiliates, but that's going to... Abaser is better because humiliate is going to come next. So the one who abases an individual. And a rafi is the one who raises, who elevates, who exalts an individual. So these two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these two attributes rather, can be man, their manifestation can be applied to practically everything. Practically every aspect of life uh, can, can witness these two things. So the example given is that of knowledge and obedience. Uh, both entail the highest and the lowest ranks, right? So meaning the very same thing, it abases, the very same incident abases some and it exalts others. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Waqiyah, He says, إِذَا وَقَعَتِ الْوَاقِيَةِ That when the, the, the incident, when the, when the day occurs, speaking about Yawmul Qiyamah, right? لَيْسَ لِوَقَعَتِهَا كَاذِبَةً that, uh, that there is no denying that occurrence, that day of taking place. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will abase some by it and He will exalt others by it. This is based on how we lived our life. That when the day of judgment comes, it will come and there's no denying that day. There's no turning away from it. There's no running from it, fleeing from it, hiding from it. It's going to come and everyone will be there. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will abase some on that day because of how they live their life and others will be exalted because of the way they live their life. So according to our transgressions, our disobedience, or our obedience, the very same event will cause some to be exalted and cause some to be 
cause some to be uh, a bit debased. So another example is what that of the Isra wal Mi'raj. When Rasulullah went on this Isra wal Mi'raj, some were abased by this and some were exalted by this. What happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He knocked on two individuals. He knocked on two individuals. They were Abu Jahl and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and many others. And Abu Jahl said, now we've got him. Now we've got him. He's, he's done now. How could he say that he went from, he went, to Mecca to, he went from Mecca to Jerusalem in one night and came back? Right? Yeah, okay, he went to the heavens. Of course, they didn't buy that either. But going to the heavens was in line with, was, going in, was in line with the rest of Revelation. They, it was, if they had believed the rest of Revelation, it would have been easy for them to believe that he ascended the heavens also. What they were trying to attack was the going from Mecca, Mukarramah, to Jerusalem, to Palestine, and back in one night, because it was a month's journey one way. So Abu Jahl said, now we've got him. And when he went to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he said, do you know what your friend is saying now? And Abu Bakr anhu said, what is he saying? He said that he says that he went to, back from Jerusalem, back, he went to Jerusalem and came back in one night. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he simply said, well, if he said it, then it's true. If my companion said it, it is true. And at that moment, Abu Bakr became a Siddiq. He became a Siddiq to the Prophet ﷺ, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was always a Siddiq to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it became manifest in the world. So what happened? The very same incident, it debased Abu Jahl and it exalted Abu Bakr anhu. And others left Islam after that, after hearing of this incident. So they were also debased. And the rest that believed in the Prophet ﷺ doing this, they were also exalted by this. And so Imam Ghazali he says that if one is content with what Allah gives him, lesser than he deserves, then Allah will exalt him above what he could ever hope for. Meaning if Allah Ta'ala gives us, right, he's, everything we have has been given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we say, if we recognize that, you know, especially in those times where we don't have as much, where the sustenance that is with us or the honor that is with us is lesser than what we might deserve. But a person is content and they say, Ya Allah, in reality, you know, I don't deserve these things anyway. You know, so you have these moments where a person might feel like, you know, this person should be respecting me, these people should be honoring me, or I work so hard, yet my sustenance is so less, right? You strive, some people, they have one job, and what, they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it doesn't even look like they're doing anything, right? It doesn't even look like they do all that much. Right? Some of these, like, corporate executives you find, like, what, do they just come and give you corporate jargon, you know? They tell, like when I was working at Verizon, they used to tell us, sell the value. So what does that mean? It means show, you have to show the importance of something. Thanks for rewording what we just said, you know, like, <laughs> and they have no solution for anything. Sometimes they don't, they're not doing much, but they're making so much. Other people are working so hard, 10, 12, 14, 15 hours a day. People are working two jobs, yet they're barely making ends meet. So they are striving and struggling so much, yet the amount of effort they're putting in, it doesn't look like, they're receiving, like, it doesn't look like they're getting as much as, uh, it's not, the, what they receive is not balanced to what they're putting out, right? That in that state, you should say, uh, you should try and be content in that state. If you say, well, Allah Ta'ala is the one that gives and this is what He has allotted to me. If you are content in that state, then Allah Ta'ala will exalt you even higher than what you could ever have hoped for, right? So you might think that I'm tr trying so hard, but I'm not getting back the same effort that I'm putting out. But I'm content with whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives me. Then Allah ta'ala, whatever you hoped to have, Allah ta'ala will give you even more than that. And we know this from the example of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
that when he went to Ta'if, after, he was, after, after Khadija had passed away, after Abu Talib had passed away, after the boycott, and he knew the Muslims needed a place of refuge. He went to Ta'if, not far, not far from Mecca, but some distance away. He went to Ta'if and he started giving them da'wah. And what happened? They got their slaves and they got their children to line up in the streets on both sides and started pelting the Prophet with stones. And Rasulullah you know, he had one of his companions there with him who was uh, protecting him, who was trying to block everything. But you have all the slaves and the children. That, those people even put their slaves and children out there because they said, you're not even, you're not even worthy enough of us, of the nobles of our community, to humiliate you. But our slaves who are the lowest of our community and our children, they are the ones that should be humiliating you. And Rasulullah he went outside of that city and he raised his hands with his with blood flowing down from his body and filling his sandals. That his sandals were stuck to his foot because the blood had dried them together. And he raised his hands and he said, Ya Allah, would you leave me to a people who, who would have dominion over me that would humiliate me? And he said, Ya Allah, I'm complaining to you only of the lack of strength that I have. Prophet didn't have lack of strength. But he said, I'm complaining to you of my lack of strength. Would you leave me humiliated amongst these people? Or would you leave me to people who would humiliate me? Then what did he say? That, Ya Allah, if you, as long as you are not angry with me, then do whatever you wish. This was the messenger of Allah The most honor, honored and honorable of all of creation. That same individual that when Adam Islam came down to this world, after he had eaten from the tree, and he had that slip, that mistake. Then what happened? He comes down to this world and he goes into sujood for 40 years. For 40 years he sits in sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, prostrating, asking for forgiveness. And he says that, Ya Allah, at the end of that 40 years, he says, Ya Allah, that forgive me by the name of Muhammad. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends an angel to Adam Islam, and this angel asks him that, how do you know this name? And he says that when I was created and my soul was blown into me, I looked towards the arsh of Allah, the throne of Allah, and I saw the name, I saw what? La ilaha illallah, Muhammad rasulullah I saw the name, this name Muhammad, next to the name of Allah, by the throne of Allah. I knew that he must be a great person. This must be a great individual. And this angel tells him that had, that you are right, because had, that, that you have only been created for the sake of this individual. Meaning Allah Ta'ala only brought all of this into existence because He wanted to bring the Prophet ﷺ into existence. That is the honor of Rasulullah ﷺ. So this was the Messenger of Allah, right? He deserved the best. He deserved to be made the king of the whole world, right? The whole universe, right? The best of all of creation, better than the throne of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala itself. And yet He is being, it looks like He's being humiliated by these people. What happened? He said, as long as you're not angry, then do whatever you want. He showed that contentment. And then what happened? Right after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up Medina Munawwara. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after some time, He opens up the Roman lands, the Persian lands. He opens up Africa to the Ummah of Rasulullah And now what? 1.7 billion Muslims just today. What about all the Muslims that have been before? What about all those that will come after? And what about on Yawm Al-Qiyamah? When everyone, all of creation will stand up at the feet of Rasulullah and say, you intercede on, Allah, uh, on our behalf for Allah, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That he was content with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him, despite at that moment it not being what the Prophet was deserving of. He was deserving of the best. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him and will give him better than what anybody could even have ever hoped for.
And so Imam Muzali he goes on, he says that in a worldly sense, khafid and rafi' uh, that abasement and exalting, they are in a worldly sense figures of speech. Right? So a person might be exalted or might be abased in a worldly sense, but you might not see that you, you might you might not see a difference between them. It might simply be by what people think of this individual, right? But when you look at them, you can't tell any difference. So in a worldly sense, it's a figure of speech. While in a theological sense, they're issues of ethics and inner consciousness. Meaning, although these two individuals might look the same, but inwardly, they are different. So he says what? That when a person purifies himself, he is exalted, and whoever acts on his whims and fancies, he is abased. That whoever purifies himself, whoever seeks to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whoever rectifies his nafs and his lower self, then that individual will be exalted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But whoever does whatever it is he wishes, you know, always this, you know, this concept, we have this in, in the Western world, we have this concept of freedom, that we are free to do whatever we want. Okay, that's great. But we are free to do whatever we want in the sense that we have a free will. But that is not necessarily what is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why Islam, Islam doesn't mean peace, by the way. We always say Islam means peace. Islam doesn't mean peace. Islam means submission. Submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Salam. Salam means peace. So what is the, why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala derived the name of this religion from the word salam? Because you have peace through submitting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It seems very contradictory to, to uh, this Western mindset of freedom, right? It seems very contradictory, but it's not. Because you will have peace after you submit yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's, then your soul will become free. We discussed last time, I think, right? That your soul will become free when you, when you, try to, when you annihilate your nafs, then you give birth to your soul. When you annihilate your lower self, you give birth to the soul. So this, this, um, this exalting happens after we submit ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we refrain from the things that we want to indulge in. So food even is halal to us. But we, shouldn't, we should refrain from indulging in that food. We shouldn't eat so much that we can't even move after we eat. Right? This happens typically in Ramadan. Like how, you know, what, how like contradictory to the, the spirit of Ramadan. Right? That we're fasting all day and then we stuff ourselves in, so much so in the night that we can't even move. We just have to sit there. Have you ever seen... Maybe the guys, you know, the sisters usually have more adab when it comes to food. The guys, like, you'll eat and then somebody will just kind of sit back and take a big breath. Like, they can't even breathe, you know. We shouldn't indulge to that level, right? And that's harmful to us. That's harmful, I mean, for our bodies, all, right? If you eat like that your whole life in, in your youth, then that's why you have, people get diabetes and all these different things, cholesterol and all this stuff in old age, right? Because they, didn't, they ate too much, right? They indulged in too much. And, so, and also, it empowers the nafs. And the, what the ulama say that a believer is at his best when he is in a state of submission. A believer is at his best when he is in a state of submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the scholars, they say that the one who lowers, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lowers the status of one who confines his vision to what he sees and senses. We kind of spoke about this last week also, right? Scientism and all that stuff. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He lowers the status of those individuals who confine their vision, their, their foresight to simply what they can see or what they can touch or whatever their senses are. Because what revelation, wahi, it begins only where the senses end. Where logic and the mind comes to an end, that's where wahi begins. That's where revelation begins. Yeah. I have a question. Um, 
question about this. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we're taught to kind of like question things too, and like, I don't know, um, just think about things in general. So, how does that stand with like logic coming to an end? If you could just clarify that. Like, from an Islamic standpoint, we're asked yeah. a question, so? Like, or what can we question and what can we not? So, uh, in, in an Islamic sense, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he doesn't, he doesn't tell us to question. So there's different types of questioning, right? One is questioning simply to clarify. And one is questioning in order to challenge. So in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us to ponder and reflect over things. Right? He asks us to ponder and reflect over the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and, he, and, and we are told by Rasulullah to, to ask if we don't know. If we don't have the answer, then we should go and ask. Right? So you have the example of the companions that one of them woke up in the morning and he needed to make ghusl. Right? He, needed, he had to take a shower and it was required upon him. Yet he had a wound on his head. So he asked the other companions that are with him, what should I do? And they say, well, you have to make ghusl for your salat. They're like, you can't simply make wudu. You have to make ghusl. And this is how you make ghusl, right? To pour water over your entire body and whatnot. So he says... <coughs> He says, okay, he does it. And then he dies because the water gets into the wound. He dies. When the companions came back and tell the Prophet ﷺ, he says, you guys, you're the ones that killed him. And they said that, Ya Rasulullah, this is what we thought would be the ruling. And Rasulullah ﷺ tells him that, why did you not ask if you did not know? So one is to seek an answer if we don't know the question. The other is to uh, question in order to challenge or that we question something. Uh, we, we don't do something until we understand it. Right? So... There are many verses in the Qur'an that might not make logical sense to us as individuals. It might make logical sense to somebody else, right? And those are those verses that we, have to, we should go and ask the ulama about, right? Can you clarify these verses? So, you know, those verses, you know, even like issues of slavery and stuff. I, don't, I hate to open up a can of worms. But, uh, you know, issues of slavery. Like people are asking, well, what about slavery? What about four wives? Why is this allowed? What about all of these different things, right? So... To deny those until we can make logical sense of it, that is a problem, right? And we have to understand that there are certain things in the Qur'an. Whatever is in the Qur'an, we have to accept it. And whatever is clearly written in the Qur'an, we have to accept it. Even if we don't understand it, right? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's wisdom, it far exceeds ours. It supersedes ours. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the wisdom behind why He has sanctioned certain things, why He has not disallowed certain things. We don't know the reason always. And we shouldn't allow ourselves to be blocked simply by not knowing the answer. Right? I'm not saying some of these things like what, you know, things that I mentioned don't have a logical answer. They have logical answers also. But in today's time, what's happening especially regarding science is that when we find, when we prove something in the Qur'an scientifically, or we prove something of the Prophet scientifically, then a person feels good about it. And only then do we accept it. And that's an issue. Right, so re, you know, several years ago, there was a study that came out, apparently, that said that if men wear gold, so men, for men to wear gold in Islam is haram, right? It's fine for women to wear. Our study came out saying that if men are wearing gold, then it, over time it, redu it reduces the white blood cell count in the body of men, but it doesn't do it in the body of women. So white blood cells are what? They're there to fight off diseases and sicknesses and whatnot. So, you know, the Muslims were all, oh, I see, this is the Prophet his prophetic example, this is so great. Yeah, mashallah, that's great, right? It is a boost of our iman. But our iman should not be dependent on that thing. And if we don't understand it, so there's other things, what if tomorrow science says, oh, actually, that, that was wrong. 
you know, that there was a mistake in that conclusion, and it doesn't actually. Actually, uh, gold will increase the white blood cell count in a man's body, right? What if tomorrow science comes with that conclusion? And it might, right? Who knows? Science is always changing. The conclusion is always being changed. Or what if you, you know, whatever, yeah, gold, for example, what if it increased the white blood cell count? So then what are we going to say? Well, logically, it makes sense for men to wear gold. It'll increase our white blood cell count. So does that mean we start wearing gold now? No, right? Even if logically something else makes sense. So oftentimes you'll find with red wine, there's health benefits in red wine. There's no denying it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says in the Quran that there's more harm than good. So Allah ta'ala doesn't say there's no good in it. He says there's more harm than good. Yet we are required to, stay, to refrain from it, to stay away from it. So Allah ta'ala recognizes that there's good. I mean, he created it, right? So he knows there's good in it. However, despite there being good, despite it being logical for us to maybe drink a little bit of red wine, we're still not allowed to because we cannot allow that logic to, uh, to surpass or to be above what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed in the Qur'an. Does that make sense? Right? So that's where, and that's so you know, even when people think about the different mu'jizat, the different miracles that the prophets performed, well, it doesn't make logical sense. Somebody, it's funny because for, ever since Isa al-Islam, right, when he was, he was probably the first virgin birth, people said, well, this is impossible. However, it happened. No one saw, right, they knew Maryam al-Islam, she was not unchaste, right, and she was not lewd, she was not immoral, she had Isa al-Islam, a virgin birth, okay. So that, something that, that's something that trumped science. Science was baffled by this. And even recently, I, I, there, somebody was telling me that a you know, member of their family said that, you know, how could this be true? They're supposed to be Muslim, right? How could this be true? It, does this make sense? And they asked somebody in the family who's a doctor. said, you're a doctor, you tell me, could this happen? And the, the doctor, he said, well, you know, whatever. I mean, Allah said it in the Quran, it happened, like, that's it, you know? Not a super religious guy, but at least he had that sense, you know? Because if you say, yeah, you're right, it's impossible. We don't accept that Isa Islam was born from a virgin birth. This takes you out of the fold of Islam, right? So if it doesn't make scientific sense, it doesn't matter. That's where wahi begins, where logic ends. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of this is easy. Allah ta'ala doesn't need a means or anything like that. Which, by the way, somebody also recently came out and said that the, the, the woman's body can actually find a way to impregnate itself without any sabab, without any means for it without a typical, without fertility, without like some type of outward fertility or anything like that, that it can actually find a way to do it. Crazy, right? SubhanAllah. So, so what are we going to say? Well, that wasn't a miracle that Maryam al-Islam then, uh, that was manifest amongst her because science has now shown that this could actually happen. So does that take away from the prophethood of Isa al-Islam? No, it doesn't. The fact that even the miracles can be, can be um, uh, explained scientifically doesn't take away from the fact that they were a miracle. So what do they say that Musa al-Islam, when he put his staff in the water and it, so he's parted the sea? So some came out saying that, uh, you know, this is also explained scientifically, geologically, there could be some type of rift or something that happens in the water and it causes the water to stop flowing in one place. And, it, you know, some type of ridge is created, whatever it is. And the sea seems to part. So Musa al-Islam was not a prophet. No, it, who cares if it can be explained scientifically, scientifically? The miracle is not that it doesn't make sense scientifically. The miracle is that it happened when it needed to happen. <laughs> That's the miracle, right? And similar, first of all, Musa Sam didn't do it. He didn't part the sea in one spot. He parted in 12 places, right? All at the same time, 12 places parted. And so there were 12 tribes of the children of Israel, and they all went through their own, their own uh, path, right? So that's what we mean by revelation beginning where 
logic ends. That even if it doesn't make logical sense to us, it doesn't matter because it is easy for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And so then Imam Muzadi rahimullah, he goes on, he says, Allah ta'ala exalts and he abases. Know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ulama rather say that Allah ta'ala know that he exalts and he abases. He is the one that exalts an individual, he is the one that abases an individual, but know that the reason is always you. Although Allah ta'ala is the one that is honoring and Allah ta'ala is the one that is humiliating, the reason is always you. And it is possible sometimes that this abasement, it shakes those that are sleeping. It shakes those that are sleeping and it, uh, it shakes those that are sleeping and it wakes them up to realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that exalts. And so then they start conforming to obedience with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we see this, right? People have no realization of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then what? Like they're all of a sudden saved by an accident or they lose all their wealth or they go undergo some difficulty. And then all of a sudden they get woken up and they think, you know, let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start living my life, try to live a pious life. Right? I know one individual he used to be in a gang and he used to steal from his mom and like all of these types of things, right? Steal from his mom and try to pawn off her jewelry and, you know, all these weird things. The drugs and everything. He got into a gang fight and was stabbed in the chest, right? And he almost died. He went to the emergency room. That was a wake-up call from After that, he was like, man, this is, this is too crazy, right? He changed his life after that. If I told you guys who it was, you guys would be shocked a little bit, I think. But we won't tell you because I don't have his permission to share this story. <coughs> but... Um, Anyway, so, you know, sometimes these things happen. A person is asleep, and Allah Ta'ala shakes them. So He abases them a little bit, He brings them down, He lowers them, and in that lowering, they are humbled, and then Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala starts exalting them because they start conforming to what Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala requires of us. And there's a hadith that Rasulullah Sallallahu said, مَنْ وَجَدَ خَيْرًا فَلْيَحْمَدِ That whoever finds goodness, then he should praise Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. وَمَنْ وَجَدَ غَيْرَ ذَلِكَ فَلَا يَلُومَنَّ إِلَّا نَفْسَ And the one who finds other than that, then he should, uh, then, then, was it? فَلَا يَلُومَنَّ إِلَّا نَفْسَ Then he has nowhere to lay blame except for himself. And this is the state of the believer. This is what the state of the believer should be. That whoever finds good, he praises Allah. And whenever he finds bad, that he attributes it to himself. Now we know in our uh, in our aqidah that وَقَدْرَ خَيْرِ was it أَمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ right وَكُتُبِهِ وَرُسُلِهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَقَدْرِ خَيْرِهِ وَشَرِّهِ that all good and bad is all created from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. But adaban out of etiquette, we say that when anything bad happens, we say you know this happened because of myself. Although Allah Subhanahu wa Taala created that evil also, right? And this is a whole another discussion about the dualistic nature of things and whatnot that we won't get into now. But this hadith, Rasulullah says that when a person, when a believer, when a person finds some goodness, then he should praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when he finds other than that, he should only blame himself. But what's interesting here is Rasulullah says, Man wajada khaira, whoever finds good. And then he says, Waman wajada ghayra tarik. He doesn't say that Waman wajada sharran. He doesn't say that whoever finds bad, whoever finds evil. He says, whoever finds other than that, other than good. This, from this hadith, we, the ulama highlight the concept of remaining positive and remaining optimistic. And this is in today's time, we are, are so pessimistic about everything. We're pessimistic about our life, that we're having difficulty, oh Allah Ta'ala has left me, and you know, uh, what's happening with the Muslims today, and you know, we're going to 
we're going to be ridiculed and persecuted and the Muslims are going to be whatever, you know, in concentration camps, this and that. Don't be pessimistic. Be optimistic. This, one of the sunnahs of Rasulullah is to remain optimistic. You can see it from this hadith also. Right? The Prophet did not want negativity. He did not want negativity. He wanted us to remain positive. That's why he didn't even mention the word shar here. Right? In this particular instance, he didn't even mention the word shar or evil. That you should avoid even speaking about evil. Yes, sometimes. So like the issue of ISIS comes up. Yes, sometimes there is a known evil and we have to talk about it in order to protect the people from that evil. But we shouldn't make a, a habit of constantly talking about negativity and bad. Because number one, what it does is those people who didn't think about these bad things will now come up in their mind. They'll start thinking about it and when they think about it, they're more likely and more prone to engage in it. Right? And second, that, <clears throat> you know, another example is that what happens like on Facebook and Twitter. Everyone is constantly sharing all the negative that's happening. Some crazy extremist says something negative. Something happens to a Muslim that's, that's bad, right? They're, they are the targets of Islamophobia. They share it. Yeah, we, we have to share. I mean, if there's an extremist that says something bad or crazy, we shouldn't share it at all, right? That's just the spreading of evil. Uh, the second is that if a person undergoes, you know, is targeted by Islamophobia or whatever, racism, yeah, you, you share it to an extent because you want to raise awareness of it. But at the same time, you know, for all of us, if we share that, we should also go and find something good and share it. You know, also find something good and share it. Because what happens? People constantly see this negativity and they start thinking, oh, see, everyone's against us as the Muslims. Some people are just aggressive in nature and that, that negativity cultivates their aggressiveness and it'll make them do bad. So you should share also. So if they see oh, this person was a victim of Islamophobia. Islamophobia is there. We have to do something about it. We have to go to the politicians. We have to go raise awareness in our communities. But at the same time, we have to curb that aggressiveness and show, you know, that, oh, the, you know, all these uh, non-Muslims sent all these cards and flowers to the masjid and said, you're welcome in our community. Share that also, because that's, that negates the pessimism with optimism. It brings optimism in people. People start realizing that they start having hope. You know, that, okay, there is goodness in the world. There is, a, there is a chance for us. And, you know, that people are with us also, despite not being Muslim. And so we have to uh, engage in those types of things also. You know, we have a few minutes, so we'll just finish off. Imam Huzayi, rahimullah, he says that to have a share from this portion of what? To have a share from the portion of Khafid and Rafi. He says that one is to view themselves as lower than anyone else. And one should exalt the truth and abase falsehood by supporting those who are right and by reproaching those who are wrong. And then this individual is able to protect himself from abasement and he's able to protect others from abasement. And he says that a share of rafi is for the one who recognizes Allah's magnificence in everything including himself. And so, uh, and so he, is ra uh, he is raised yet he remains humble. So what does that mean? You recognize Allah Ta'ala's grandeur and His magnificence in everything including yourself. So whatever achievements you have, attribute it to Allah. Say that, Ya Allah, I know that I could not have accomplished this on myself. That yes, I may have worked hard, but you gave me the ability to work hard. A lot of people are smart, but they don't work hard. A lot of people work hard, but they're not smart. A lot of people are smart and they work hard, yet they don't, you know, they, it doesn't work out in their favor. So when, whenever anything good happens, say, Ya Allah, you gave me the ability to work hard. You gave me the ability to strive. You gave me the uh, intelligence, right? And sometimes you do all of these things and your teacher still gives you a bad grade. And so what? You also put it in the teacher's heart to give me a good grade, <laughs> right? That you were the one that gave me and so I give thanks to you. 
So by you humbling yourself, Allah Ta'ala starts exalting you. He starts raising you. Right? And then too, the ulama say, the mashayikh, they always say that, it's funny because some people say that you should you know, look down on the non-Muslims. You should look down on them and all of these things. You shouldn't, because they are not Muslim. You shouldn't look down on them. Our mashayikh, right, particularly, you guys remember Shaykh Mushtaq that came a few months ago, right, one of my teachers. Always he says, view yourself as lower than everyone. Lower than the non-Muslims, lower than animals, right? Because, okay, what, why would you want to look down on this non-Muslim? Because he doesn't have iman? Well, what do you know? What if he has iman one day? And how do you know you're going to die with iman? You don't know if you're going to die with iman. He might be a better person than you, but he doesn't believe, right? What if he has better character than you? Then you are even worse because you have iman, you should have good character as a result of that iman, and you still don't. This person does not have iman, so... The iman is not guiding them and, and, and pushing them to have good character, yet they still have better character than you. Aren't you that much worse than this individual? And the fact that you even, what if you say, well, I'm a good person to everyone else, but I just think this person is, is lower than me. Well, that one action has made you lower than them because you've looked down on them. Right? The story of Abdullah Andalusi, Rahimullah, you guys have heard his story, I don't know. He was an individual who was a great scholar. Great scholar, mufassir, muhaddith, everything, right? He, he knew so much, students and all of these things. This individual is traveling with his students one day and with his companions and he comes into a Christian town and he thinks that look at how lowly these people are, you know, we're so much better off than them. Then what happens is before they leave that town, his gaze falls upon a woman and he becomes overcome with desire for her and he goes to her father and he proposes, he says, I want to marry her. So the father, he says, okay, you can marry her with three conditions. Number one, you hang a cross around your neck. Number two, you become a swine herder because the father had swine, had a swine farm. He said, you become a swine herder, a farmer of pigs. And number three, you leave your religion and you accept Christianity. And he says, okay, I'll do it. And he does it. And he leaves everything. His students and the other, his contemporaries, they cried over him for years. They cried and cried and cried. And they went to him and they said, what about all the hadith you knew? What about all the Quran you knew? What happened to all of that? He said, I've forgotten everything. I don't remember anything. He remembered one verse. And it was, I forget which verse it was exactly, but it was something related to that Allah Ta'ala will forgive everything except for those who, um, uh, you know, who like wrong themselves. Something like, something to this nature, right? Basically, Allah Ta'ala can forgive everything except if you turn away from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Something to that regard. Years went by. And then eventually, he, eventually, he made tawbah from it. And he went and told his wife that, look, we have to leave all this. She became Muslim, he became Muslim again, and they left and they came back to the Muslims. And then he regained his status also. He regained his status as a great scholar and he relearned everything also. Right? So what happened? The ulama say that he went to that town, which was non-Muslim, and he looked down on them. Because he had iman and they didn't, he thought himself to be better, so Allah Ta'ala showed him and made him an example. But what if Allah Ta'ala had taken his life before all of that was regained? Right? Then what would have happened? Those very same people he looked down upon, Far worse than them because at least they never had Islam, right? He had Islam and then he left it, you know? And so we should never look down on anyone. Rather, we should, even the animals, we should think ourselves to be worse than the lowest of, of, the, lowest of the filthiest dogs and these types of things. And then if we have this humility with Allah, then Allah Ta'ala will raise us. That He will increase our honor amongst people. So this is actually a very good transition into the next names, which is Al-Mu'iz and Al-Mudil. But... Time's out. So, <laughs> inshallah, next week we'll go into it. And Mu'izz and, uh, and Mudil, they're also related. 
So inshallah, next week uh, we'll be able to do more names than that because building off of this week, inshallah. Any questions? اللهم أنت السلام إنك السلام تباركت يا ذا الجلال والإكرام سمعنا وطعنا غفرانك ربنا وإليك المصير اللهم اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وطهر قلوبنا وحسن فروجنا ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين وجعلنا للمتقين إماما يا الله forgive us of our sins يا الله we have wronged ourselves Ya Allah, we have sinned in the day and we have sinned in the night. Ya Allah, we know what is sinful and we have still engaged in it. Ya Allah, you have honored us and you have raised us amongst people. Ya Allah, continue raising us and honoring us amongst people. Ya Allah, grant us the tawfiq that we turn away from the sins we are committing and what we have committed and protect us from those sins that we have committed and from those that we have not committed. Forgive us of our minor sins, forgive us of our major sins. Ya Allah, let us be high and raised in the eyes of others. But Ya Allah, lower ourselves in our own eyes, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, forgive us of our sins and let us live a life that is pleasing to you. Ya Allah, raise us on Yawm Al-Qiyamah with the Prophet ﷺ and keep us under your perfect and supreme shade. Ya Allah, forgive our parents, our, our teachers and our mashayikh. Ya Allah, honor them and grant us a noble progeny, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, use us for the khidmah and servitude of deen, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, all of our progeny, Ya Allah, do not let any of them go astray. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the wrongs that we have done. Forgive all those that have passed, all those that are sick, Ya Allah, grant them their cure, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, all those that are suffering and have a need and have a pious need and have a good need and a pure need, grant them their need and remove their suffering, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, use us for the khidmah of this deen as ulama, as hufad, as sulaha, as awliya. Ya Allah. Guide us and let us be guided and let us guide others as well, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, and accept us for the khidmah of this deen. Ya Allah, we ask you and beg of you for all the good that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam begged you for. And we seek refuge in you from all the evils that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sought refuge in you from. Allahumma aghnina bil ilm wa zayinna bil hilm wa akrimna bil taqwa wa jamilna bil afiyah. Allahumma inna nas'aluka min khayri ma as'alaka minhu nabiyuka Muhammadun sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa na'udhu bika min sharri mas'ta'adha minhu nabiyuka Muhammadun sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa antal mustaan wa alikal balag wa la hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al-ali. العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزة أما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين